Welcome back to Second Helping, the first choice of fans of the top league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined as always by my partner, longtime partner, Mr. Brent Beard, of course, college football analyst for First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, also a longtime voter where the Heisman Trophy is concerned, and Brent, We've got uh, some interesting games to look forward to coming up this next weekend. Certainly a big one in Gainesville, Florida. We'll get more into those later in the week with our second pod of the week. But first, we want to review the action Absolutely. the previous week. And uh, look, there were some mostly highs, I'd say, around the Southeastern Conference. And fortunately for the SEC, there wasn't an FCS win over a conference member like we <laughs> right. saw in Tallahassee late Saturday night. I tell you what, if Travis, if uh, if Tennessee is able to beat Pitt, you've got a situation then where uh, the SEC basically uh, wins them all. But virtually, obviously, with the Missouri Kentucky game, but uh, it, quite a. Quite an interesting weekend, and and Trav, can we say even a Vanderbilt win? Uh, how about that? Yeah, the 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 Vanderbilt fans enjoying that weekend, man. They get a win, a road win at that, yeah, and then absolutely. Uh, and then Tennessee loses. So that was a <laughs> yeah, it was, was a nice Sunday morning cup of coffee for Commodore yeah. fans uh, around the state of Tennessee and beyond. But let's start with the early action. From last Saturday, the Auburn Tigers once again find their footing as a game moves along. Saw some of this in the opener, and then once again against Alabama State on Saturday, a 35-point third quarter, an explosion for the Tigers after a couple of field goals in the first quarter. It got Auburn off to a 6 to nothing lead. Auburn led that game 20 to nothing at the half, but again, the second half, all Tigers and a blast from the Georgia pass. Demetrius <laughs> Robertson really with a big game to go along with a rushing attack that, as we anticipated, continues to show a good bit of punch. Yeah, 364 yards rushing. Jarquez Hunter was the guy that really stepped up. Had, a, I think, an 80-yarder trap to end up with 147. Tank Bigsby, kind of typical day at the office, 122. Uh, Bo Nix, pedestrian numbers, 9 of 17 for 108. Now, he's not having to do a whole lot right now, uh, which is understandable. But uh, the Tigers, at least 60 points in consecutive games for the first time since 1932. Uh, safe to say they they took care of business. It wasn't perfect, but they've done what they needed to do. But, Trav, I'm, I'm still not sure these first two games are going to help them that much as the season goes along. Well, and, of course, we're going to find out, and we'll talk about this as I, I hit on just a second ago. We'll talk about it later in the week more, but this Saturday is going to tell us plenty about uh, Absolutely. the Auburn Tigers when they make that trip to Happy Valley to take on Penn State. A game that we had sort of been pointing toward throughout the offseason was a week two matchup of South Carolina at East Carolina. I caught a good bit of this game on Saturday. Um, East Carolina comes out and punches South Carolina right in the mouth, gets off to a 14 to nothing lead. 
at home, but uh, give the Gamecocks credit. Hung in there, got a big interception return for a touchdown to close that game to a score, and then Zeb Nolan worked a little bit of magic, and I don't I don't think you can be any more clutch than I guess kicker Parker White was really down the stretch for the Gamecocks. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't run much, 106 yards on 39 carries. Boy, that average is not real good, but they still got the job done. Kevin Harris only seven for 33. Now he's been banged up a bit, but I think he will improve. They did find Josh Van helped him out with five catches and 116 yards. This is a big rivalry. Now, you lived up there for a while in that area, uh, Trav, and, and, and would have some real insight to this, but East Carolina hates South Carolina, and they they this was their bowl game, uh, for some of their beat writers told me on a podcast. So I know that they were disappointed, uh, and, but again, for... South Carolina to start off 2-0, and especially with this win, and basically your GA still is your quarterback. I think Shane Beamer would take that right now, won't he? Yeah, this was the first of a couple of measuring stick games. This one for South Carolina on the road in Greenville, North Carolina, and then certainly what's coming up next as South Carolina looks to jump into not only SEC play, but SEC Eastern Division play. And again, we'll outline more of that coming up later in the week but again when you start looking for wins on some of these schedules this was one you had circled for south carolina and if nothing else they showed you some of the stuff that is needed to get over the hump on the road so give shane beamer and his staff a lot of credit for that you talked a little bit about tennessee coming up a little bit short at neyland stadium and another one of those early games from last saturday that was an entertaining game. It wasn't pretty, and it certainly <laughs> wasn't pretty from the Tennessee perspective. No. When you talk about penalties, uh, when you talk about turnovers, the kind of things that a program right now isn't built to withstand against a comparable competitor like Pitt. And Kenny Pickett, the quarterback for Pitt, thought he showed you a lot of good things at the quarterback position. Meanwhile, Tennessee – Joe Milton goes out with an injury. Hendon Hooker comes on, does some nice things, but again, Mm -hmm. had a pretty costly uh, turnover or two in the game. And, um, you know, when you think about Tennessee running the football from week one to week two, it wasn't the same kind of effort, I thought, Brent, that we saw from UT on the ground in the opener. No, and and they did get out to a pretty good start. I mean, they yeah. played uh, really pretty intense in the beginning, but just not able to uh, keep it up, which is unfortunate for them. The the kind of rotating quarterback situation uh, will get interesting. Joe Milton, 7 of 12 for 50, uh, ran a little bit with 54. Then he gets hurt. Hooker comes in. And as you mentioned, 15 to 21 for 188. I mean, that's respectable, uh, frankly. But uh, I think one thing that will help them uh, coming up is uh, Byron Young is able to play this week. Uh, Eligible now, right? Yes, he is. So I I think that's going to be helpful. The defensive end uh, as he comes in. Uh, and Trev, they're allowing 23 points per game. Uh, and their, mo- their defense is like their entire team. It's inconsistent where they will make uh, a really nice play. 
and then do something to to virtually give it back a play or two later, uh, or at least a series or two. So uh, still a lot of work to do in Knoxville. Yeah, I like the energy, and I like um, sort of the enthusiasm that you see from Tennessee football so far under Josh Heupel, but need to harness some of that, probably yeah. more so yeah. with an emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. You know, the effort to play with physicality and, uh, you know, and bring the intensity and, and those things, that's great. Uh, just need to, to harness it a little bit. And the Vols quarterback situation will continue to be interesting moving forward. I think Tennessee, yeah, like a lot of teams in the SEC coming up this next weekend, gets an FCS opponent. So that doesn't come at a bad time for this Tennessee team following a tough loss to pit at home. The Florida Gators go on the road, go down to Tampa, take care of business. Talk about fast starts. Florida jumped out fairly quickly and taking care of the lowly Bulls at this point. Florida with a 35-3 to lead at the half. And once again, a lot of the storyline for Florida offensively and something else will go in depth on as we move throughout the week here on second helping the quarterback situation. Brent Emory Jones once again gets the start. Once again, Anthony Richardson comes off the bench and is absolutely dynamic, both with his legs and throwing the football. You know, I guess if you average 50.7 yards per pass attempt, that's <laughs> yeah. a pretty good thing. That was Anthony right. Richardson on just three attempts. But then you average, let's say, 28.8 yards per carry on four carries. That's what Anthony Richardson did as a passer and a runner off the bench on Saturday. So where does it sit right now, Brent, for Florida at quarterback? And I guess Richardson might have a bit of an injury issue to 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 take into account here as well. <laughs> Uh, there's a hamstring situation here. We, we're not sure how uh, did, how bad that is at this point. They'll you get all the treatment and try to maybe practice a little bit. But uh, this is the uh, the favorite topic of anybody that we run into that wears orange and blue right now is what to do. I'm I'm travel. I'm speaking to the Putnam County Gator Club tonight. So uh, lack of Florida. Here that's comes right. Brent Beard. I wonder what the first question is going to be, but but, but it, here's the thing uh, with coaches like Dan Mullen, and, and look, and I'm not saying that this is a bad thing. It's just reality. Emory Jones was his first quarterback commitment. Jones told him, "I want to be your quarterback." So Mullen, uh, because he's because Jones has been in the program now about four years, uh, feels some loyalty to him, uh, and it's trying to give him all the opportunity that he can to be the guy. But there's just no way you can ignore Anthony Richardson and what he's done. Now, now Mullen uh, made an interesting explanation about Richardson. He said, "Now everyone thinks on some of these." Uh, it's what he told the media. Uh, the passes that that he uh, has made are just a great play. But what people need to understand is he's coming alone. But on that particular play, he actually missed the read, and he's so athletic enough that he made the play go uh, at this point. So, Tram, I think what we've got here is, and you understand Mullen very very well and his personality and his quirks, is he's trying to keep this 
from being an issue. Gator fans want Richardson, but for the moment, certainly, and 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 a Gator media friend told me last night he thinks this will play out maybe until the Kentucky game. Uh, but but Jones is still the guy. Yeah, with Richardson, you do get that sense from Mullen that maybe in terms of administering the offense correctly on a down by down, snap by snap basis. He's not trusted as much to do that as, say, Emory Jones is. In other words, Anthony Richardson will go freestyle a little bit, maybe go a little bit rogue outside of what Dan Mullen has in mind uh, for a particular play call. But you said it, the proof's in the pudding statistically right now. Anthony Richardson, absolutely dynamic. And it does harken back to, say, Mullen's time at Mississippi State, a guy like Tyler Russell, uh, was similar to Emory Jones in that regard. So some parallels that can be drawn. One thing I liked for Florida offensively on Saturday wasn't just that Jacob Copeland had a big game with five catches for 175 yards and a couple of touchdowns. You saw Xavier Henderson make some plays. Yes, They've got to have absolutely. some other guys on the outside step up this week. We'll get into more of this later in the week. You can't just have one guy no. against this Alabama defense because if you do that, that's going to allow Alabama to commit more numbers to an area where they're probably as concerned as much about anything, and that's the run game. So got to have some more guys coming along, and, and the tight end's a part of that too. Well, and, and it's funny you said that because two of the, the, the media members I talked to last night both said that now Kyle Pitts obviously is not there, and he was tremendous last year. But they brought him an interesting point was at this point the tight ends are basically just blockers. Uh, they said these tight ends really have not even been hardly targeted this year at all. And, Trev, I, I'm, I, I'm wondering if that's something that really needs to change for them over the course of the season. Yeah, we may see it. You know, Alabama didn't have a tight end catch a ball against Mercer. Yeah, on Saturday, I, I, I'm thinking this week, I think we're going to see tight ends for both teams. Yes. Catch at least one pass. The Georgia Bulldogs, following that huge season opening win over the Clemson Tigers, home opener in Athens, Georgia, and Stetson Bennett gets the start. There was some talk that it would be Carson Beck in place of JT Daniels. Maybe Daniels would be able to go. Ultimately, it was Stetson Bennett and Bennett efficient, I guess you could say to say the least, Brent. And we may be getting to the point when it comes to Setson Bennett, we're just going to nickname him Mr. September because uh, he's extremely tough to deal with before you get to the month of October. He was hellacious against UAB on Saturday. Yeah, to 10 of 12 for 288 and five touchdowns, most of that uh, in the first half. Uh, I, I think a lot of us thought Carson Beck, the kid from Jacksonville, may play a lot more than he did. Uh, but and look, what needs to be said, uh, I'll defend UAB some. This is still a pretty good football team. Yeah. Uh, and, and Georgia just basically blitzing them, I thought, was just unbelievable. And uh, I'm, I'm curious if this caught your eye like it did mine. Trav, this, speaking of tight ends, this freshman brought Bowers three catches <coughs> for 107 and two touchdowns, and has shown some real athleticism uh, for a uh, – they've really needed some guys to step up, either a tight end or wide receiver, with all these injuries, and Bowers has done that, has he not? Yeah, so much talk in the preseason about would Eric Gilbert play this season. 
Darnell Washington with the injury, and here you have Bowers catching three passes for 107 yards and two touchdowns with that long of 89 yards. Stetson Bennett threw 12 passes in the game. Five of them went for touchdowns. So (laughs) just some crazy, crazy numbers for the Georgia passing attack in that impressive, as you said, that was, that is a pretty solid UAB team and they never had a chance on Saturday afternoon in Athens. The Texas A&M Aggies, Brent, go on the road. The game was played in Denver, but it was a home game for Colorado. Uh, About the worst case scenario, I would think, for Texas A&M early in the game with Haynes King not only going out, but we've come to learn that he will be out for at least a month or more now uh, with his injury, probably longer. But give A&M credit, you knew that defense was the area of this team that Jimbo Fisher could hang his hat, and they were exceptional until that offense could muster just enough late to get the job done by a field goal over the Buffaloes. Uh, and, and I tell you, Trav, this Haynes King injury, that was gruesome, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, they, uh, I mean, they basically just picked him up and threw him down like a rag doll, uh, and he fractured his ankle. Now, the reports, I give Matt Zenith credit for this, or that he'll be out till at least mid-October. Trev, I still wonder, uh, and hope, hopefully the kid will be fine, he'll be back soon, but yeah, but obviously, uh, peeking ahead for just uh, 10 seconds, that Bama game uh, is on uh, October the 9th, so I, I don't know if that be considered mid-October, so we'll keep our eye on that. Zach Calzada kind of stepped up. Uh, toward the end of the game, missed 20 passes, unfortunately, 18 of 38. Uh, obviously, he didn't know what, what he could be able to do. And even though Isaiah Spiller uh, was not able to run the ball that well, Trev, as I learned from you years ago, great players make great plays at the most opportune time. Spiller catches that wheel route for that touchdown at the end of the game. So he more made up for that 28 yards rushing, didn't he? Not a ton of production at all from A&M's wide receivers on Saturday. But when you've got Jalen Weidermeyer at tight end, he can catch four balls for 66 yards like he did. Spiller with six catches for 56 yards in the game winner, as you outlined. Uh, but you got to get Anaya Smith and some of these other guys Absolutely. involved more. And uh, kind of surprising to see Spiller with just eight carries for 20 yards. Devin Achain has a lot of juice at the running back position, he so does. nine carries for 50 yards for him. But uh, survive in advance for Texas A&M in that non-conference matchup with Colorado. Alabama 48, Mercer 14. Nick Saban tried to tell y'all. Tried to tell y'all, Brent. He did. He did. Team wasn't doing right. They weren't acting right. And it sort of showed up in a choppy performance against an FCS opponent. Biggest news, though, to come from this game, the injury to Will Anderson early in the third quarter. Nick Saban on Monday updated Anderson's status, used wording like very encouraged Mm -hmm. by where he was yesterday, maybe in comparison to post-game Saturday. So, The goal in games like this, as we know, take care of business, which you're expected to do, but also make sure you stay as healthy as possible. Maybe Alabama dodged a bullet where Will Anderson is concerned. 
Yeah, and it will be interesting to see how how much of a goal that he will be coming up. But you're right about that. That's the last thing they needed was uh, to, to get bad news on him. Now, again, Bryce Young continues his good work, seven touchdown passes, first two starts. That's the first time that's ever happened. Brian Robinson, B-Rob, again, businesslike, 10 for 70. Good to see Trey Sanders still playing well. Uh, in, in, uh, but Travis Hart ignored Joe, Joe Earl right now, isn't it? Seven for 85. I, I, you know, he, he's the kind of a guy who could really step up, uh, and, and make some big plays, uh, and obviously in, in these games coming up. But one thing you said that I thought was, uh, kind of typical of this game, uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry ends up as one of the defensive players of the game. He had a pick, but Trav also got, and, and this wasn't all his fault, but also got turned around, kind of let a guy behind him uh, and, and let a touchdown go. So that, that's kind of the, the indication with some of the younger guys, the inconsistency you got in that win. Yeah, and there is there's still a sort of continuity. We often talk about this in relation to the offensive line, but in the secondary the guys that you work with on a daily basis between the corner and safety and sub defensive back roles, uh, the communication that's involved there. And yes. I think on a couple of those, both those in the second half, that's what you saw. You saw some perhaps communication issues and some outright busts. Alabama sat its two starting corners in the game, Josh Job and Jalen Armour Davis. So probably not a huge surprise that you had a little bit of, uh, some difficulties there in the second half doesn't mean that Nick Saban likes it uh, <laughs> any less, but no. uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. Fayetteville, Arkansas, home to a Southwestern Conference from years gone by matchup. The Texas Longhorns pay a visit last Saturday night to Fayetteville, one that I'm thinking folks involved with both teams probably won't forget anytime soon. Arkansas gets out to a 16 to nothing lead, stretches it to 33 to 7 by the end of the third quarter and pretty amazing because I had Texas, I picked Texas in this yep. game. I'm sure. on record with that. Couldn't have been any more wrong about this game and the next game by the way. Uh but all the credit in the world to Arkansas and Sam Pittman. Um just a game in which Arkansas sort of for lack of a better way of putting it SEC to a Big 12 opponent. Uh, the uh, Arkansas has been fined by the SEC for rushing the field. And I'm guessing, Trav, after that one, Hog fans will be glad to pass the hat uh, during the next home game. So they'll be, they'll be able just to pay get, that just fine. Just get the Waltons or the Tyson people. You know? <laughs> yeah, Jerry Jones. Absolutely. Jerry Jones. Get the Cowboys yeah. to write a check for that. You know? we'll, be, we'll be happy to do that. But, boy, K.J. Jefferson, uh, Trav, uh, 14 of 19, 138. Ran for 73 yards. Traylon Smith, as you mentioned last week, continues to do some good work. Man alive, they ran for 333 yards uh, versus Texas. But look, the, uh, the and I talked to a, a former SEC assistant, and he talked. He's he watched the game with interest and said Texas is nowhere near where they will be. And 
we all understand that, and that will come for them. We think under Sark, but Trail, this was this was a as feel good of a game for for the Hogs. They they had that. Listen, we mentioned this for Tennessee. What was different in this game? They started with that kind of Tennessee intensity that they did on the first drive, two drives, but Arkansas never let up, did they? And it carried them throughout the whole game. Absolutely. I made that trip to Fayetteville in 1998 to watch an Alabama team get that sort of woodshedded yep. treatment from Arkansas. Uh, gosh, 20-something, 23 years ago now. So that one rang true with me a little bit, seeing uh, Texas go through that on Saturday night. Hey, let's talk about Mississippi State. 24, <laughs> NC State, 10. You know, so much of the focus on Mike Leach and the offense and air raid and all those things. But, boy, through a season and a couple of games, hard not to be impressed by the work done by Zach Arnett as the defensive coordinator for the Bulldogs. Uh, no question about that. Uh, they, and, look, NC State's a good club. Yeah. Uh, frankly, and, and people need to understand that. Dave Doran has done a good job with that team. Uh, so, uh, I, I, look, I'm with you. And the, uh, uh, and the guys who are getting attention, to your point, Martin Emerson and, em- and Emmanuel Forbes, two really good cornerbacks who have stepped up and uh, – uh, who are playing well? Will Rogers, uh, 33 of 49, 294, uh, leads the SEC so far. Uh, now they've got to run the ball better. Uh, but look, when you can throw like that and you can play defense, you're going to beat a lot of uh, a lot of teams. <laughs> this would be so Mike Leach, Trav, but uh, <laughs> was told that they took Monday and Tuesday off. And then basically practice the rest of the week, uh, basically right up to game time, uh, and they were ready to go. So uh, uh, look, what what Trev, what in the world is Leach going to be able to do when he's got all his guys and that defense continues to improve? Well, what a what a threat that they're going to be in the in the upcoming months and years. Yeah, you'd like to see them run the ball, understanding that a Mike Leach offense is going to be pretty situational in how they run the ball and that the passing game itself is oftentimes just an extension of the run game because you saw a couple of their backs, Johnson and Marks, combined for 13 catches uh, in the game Saturday night. But at times they need to be a little bit more effective in the more traditional run game. But tough one for NC State. Lost a couple of defensive starters in the game uh, in the process of – dropping a 14-point decision to the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Ole Miss, 54, Austin P 17. And Ole Miss is in one of these interesting situations, just like their in-state rival, Mississippi State, in terms of non-conference opponents coming up for this Saturday. Uh, Mississippi State going to Memphis, I believe. Yeah. And Ole Miss will get Tulane. We'll get more into those That's games right. later in the week. But – Once again, with Lane Kiffin back in the fold, the Rebels impressive on the offensive side of the ball, as you anticipated. That being the case, uh, three different quarterbacks end up playing for the Rebels in the win over the Govs. Matt Corral, 21 of 33, 281, five more touchdowns. And again, 
a game in which Drummond, Mingo, Ely, uh, the things you're able to do with those guys in the passing game, although Ely, too, as a runner, can be a big problem as well. And uh, they've got Plumley, who they can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plumley maybe Trav. Uh, at the end of the year, when we look at versatility in the league, he may very well be the most versatile player in the league to, to some degree with all that they can do with him. Uh, and again, as Louisville and Austin P, some Rebel fans want them squarely in the uh, in the top 20. I'm not sure Lane is Lane Kiffin's that interested in that right now. And again, they're they're doing they're doing some better things defensively. This Isaiah Eitan, is that how you pronounce it, Trev? That that JUCO transfer, the defensive tackle, has been uh, stepping up and look good uh, for them. And as you and I've said now for months with Lane, uh, a, a a really much improved defensive line would do them wonders. Absolutely, no doubt about that. As far as Conference play is concerned from last Saturday. We anticipated a very competitive game between Kentucky and Missouri up in Lexington. It played out that way, although this game, in checking in and watching a good bit of it, it seemed to have the feel, and especially after Kentucky got off to a 14 to nothing lead, that it could get away from Missouri mm-hmm. pretty quickly. But Missouri, to its credit, Kept this thing very close, had a chance late in the game, but the Kentucky defense gets it done late against Connor Bazelak. Bazelak looked to be less than 100% there late in the game trying to direct that Missouri offense, but he gutted it out to the tune of four touchdown passes against one interception, had to throw it 51 times in the game. You know, we talked about Tyler Beatty, the running back from Missouri, and the significance of his role in this game, 61 rushing yards on 14 attempts, not terrible, but certainly not what we saw from him in week one. Conversely, Christian Rodriguez, maybe my favorite running back in college football, bludgeoned, bludgeoned that Missouri defense for 206 on 27. Yeah, a couple of things to dovetail what you said. Missouri, first of all, uh, it was a double whammy here, had only 104 yards rushing and gave up 340. Uh, they're, they're giving up nearly 30 points a game, which is real difficult for them. Beatty is among the nation's leaders in rushing, but Trail, they are last in power five in yards allowed in rushing yards. So, but, but again, uh, on the other side of the coin with uh, Kentucky playing as well as they have. I mean, Will Levis, uh, I, I, he was effective, 10 of 18 from 179. But, but, but I tell you this, between Rodriguez, who goes over 200, uh, and, and listen, uh, Trav, I, I still say one of the best transfers by the end of the year maybe this Wondell Robinson. Yeah, uh, who can run? He can catch over a hundred yards. Uh, all offensively, finally with a quarterback. Trav, Kentucky is a threat for anybody right now, aren't they? They are, and that game went exactly to the script that you know Mark Stoops would like: run Absolutely. the football, win that decidedly, and then 
use your defense to get off the field when you need to. Again, kudos to Bazelak for a strong performance. Beatty did factor into the passing game pretty significantly, but obviously objective number one was to do a better job of containing him than did Western Michigan in week one in Columbia. Let's talk LSU and McNeese. The Orgeron Bowl out in Baton Rouge. Daddy gets it done. Coach O with the victory. 34 to 7 over the FCS McNeese Cowboys. Uh, but even coming off the first win of the season, you get this news that John Emery Jr., the yeah. running back for LSU Brent, guess he's not going to be available for the foreseeable future. Uh, uh, listen, there are just some questions there that, that are just mystifying, frankly. I mean, they only, speaking of that, they only had 126 yards yeah. rushing. Corey Kiner ends up leading them with 56. Uh, and look, it, it's just two games. But, I mean, who would have thought LSU would be second to last in the league in rushing 86 yards per game? They had three starters on the offensive line who uh, were out. Inconsistent play with the running backs. Max Johnson is still struggling at this point. So, man alive, it, it, um, uh, what, uh, it, once LSU hits this stretch of SEC games, which is coming up, uh, there's going to have to be some major improvement in Baton Rouge. True freshman quarterback Garrett Nussmeyer sees action for the Tigers in the win. He goes 3 of 10 for 19 yards. So, before you start that drum beat. In relation to Max Johnson, uh, you just need to try to figure out some things, work some things out with the guys you got really that have been around for a little while. And as we talked about earlier, Brent, the Vanderbilt Commodores <laughs> go to Fort Collins, Colorado, and get a three-point win off the foot, the game winner, off the foot of Joseph Bulibus, the former Alabama kicker. That's transfer right. Yeah. To Vanderbilt, Joe as Nick Saban used to res- uh, refer to Joseph Bulavis. Good for him, man. He had a few misses during his time at Alabama, but uh, delivered from 38 to get the job done on Saturday night against CSU. Uh, Ken Seals, a quarterback, uh, 27-42 to 42 for 238. Uh, Davis ran the ball for... Uh, 77, but, uh, I mean, that, that's one of those things that, uh, how good did that bandy plane feel on the way back Mm. after that one? So, uh, uh, that, that's, that was just huge for them. I, and Trav, I'll be honest with you. Um, I was watching some of the late games and, and just basically (laughs) collapsed from fatigue uh, when that game was still going on and, and was quite surprised to, w- to wake up Sunday morning and find that they had won. So uh, certainly gives Clark Lee a little bit to build on. It does. And look, you don't want to diminish from the accomplishment by Vanderbilt, but considering what the Commodores were able to muster in the season opener against ETSU, you really got to wonder what the heck's going on with Colorado State because really? CSU lost at home to – was it South Dakota State yeah, in week one? Yeah. One of the South Dakota schools. So, you know, and that's a job out there. Mike Bobo's had success it's there sure in the past, at least some extent. Um, Jim McElwain yeah. had a great deal of success. They built a new stadium out there. Uh, they've put money and resources into that football program, and it is just, just not happening 
for Colorado State. Brett, again, we look forward to getting together and previewing what promises to be maybe a top-heavy schedule coming up in the Southeastern Conference for this weekend. But in terms of significance, it's not going to get much bigger than what you're going to see in a couple of these games with Alabama and Florida at the top of that short list. Uh, no question. Uh, and obviously the first CBS game, which makes it quite interesting. And uh, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, we'll, we'll know a lot about Auburn coming up with this venture toward Penn State uh, and, and who, who after the Ohio State loss to Oregon, some people looking at Penn State could – could they be the best team in the in that Big Ten? Not sure about that, but uh, that that's something to consider. And uh, uh, certainly a little bit of a surprise with the timing that Southern Cal now needs a, a new head coach, right? Yeah, I finally put Clay Helton out of his misery. Yes. It seemed like for yes. three or four years. You talk about Penn State. It just feels like it feels like James Franklin has been a candidate for that job. <laughs> Forever. For like four or five years now, <laughs> yeah, and it's just really? now coming open officially. So yes. <laughs> that will be interesting to watch the direction of SC as they look to replace Clay Helton. And look, you know, it makes sense to the timing uh, these days anyway, because you got an early signing period you do. to take Absolutely. into account. When you just had the February date, you could maybe say, well, we'll let the guy get through the season, then we'll do something in late November and still have time you know, in December to get our guy and, you know, make sure we have time to finalize our class for February. Now with so many of these kids signing in December and enrolling even in January, timing more than ever, I guess, Brent, is of the essence. I think it probably shows that uh, that they don't want to settle for mediocrity anymore, and I think that's probably going to be the message coming out from the AD and the coaching staff as they now talk to these recruits. Brent, it's always a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun reviewing week two where the Southeastern Conference football season is concerned. Anything else before we get out of here? Well, uh, I... Oregon, uh, give them a lot of credit for that win, as with uh, Iowa. Michigan still undefeated at this point. Uh, that, that That's interesting, too. So, uh, uh, it, you know, for, for all this talk about nothing would happen last weekend, after Labor Day weekend, uh, it, it was there were quite a lot of eventful games. No doubt about it. Absolutely no doubt about that. Well, Brent, again, we look forward to reconvening here on second helping in a couple of days, get you ready for week three of Southeastern Conference football action. For Brent Beard, Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on second helping. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume pods. That's where you're going to find us. So a subscription to us would be greatly appreciated. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. We would certainly appreciate that as well. Until later in the week, so long, everybody.